Blurred up, blurred up. Welcome to the show where we talk about nerd culture from a BPOV, a black POV. You can find us on Facebook at B-L-E-R-D-U-P. We are on Instagram at B-L-E-R-D period U-P. You can find us on Twitter at B-L-E-R-D-U. And you can find us on Blurred.com. Our partners, our sponsors, full of great content from a black cultural lens, nerdy content from a black cultural lens. I'm your host, Brendan, and I'm joined by Marquita. Hey! So, we're going to kind of cut the show in half today. Me and Marquita are going to go through some video gamey news as well as the series finale of Steven Universe. And on the latter half, I'm going to be joined by Jack Zilla, and we're going to do two anniversary retrospectives on the debut of A Tribe Called Quest and... Public Enemy's third album, Fear of a Black Planet. Let's start off the show with the veggies before dessert. The Last of Us Part Two has been oh, delayed indefinitely. I have to grieve. And while the official message from Sony and Naughty Dog didn't say COVID-19 directly, they did say that they wanted everyone to experience the game at the same time. Mm-hmm. Blockbuster movies like Black Widow are being pushed back, so it's not a big surprise that Blockbuster games are getting delayed as well. I was listening to the GameScoop podcast on IGN, and one of the commentators said that they could release it digitally, but some games kind of have a contract where they can't release games digitally until they are available in brick-and-mortar stores. Mm. So maybe they have a contract with GameStop to, to wait I think as much as I'm disappointed, like I literally, when I saw that post, like I freaked out because mm. this, my entire year was revolving around this game. There was nothing I, I looked forward to more than this game. Totally. But I think with that being said, I'm willing to wait. It's that good of a game that I'm willing to wait. Oh yeah. Yeah. Do you think they're going to sneakily save this game for the PS5 launch? I hope not. Because they know that PS4 players were waiting. Mm-hmm. So I don't I don't think that would be a good economic move on their part. Well, I think they could pull, you know, a Twilight Princess. And when and the Wii launched, Nintendo released Twilight Princess on that console and the GameCube. Or even Breath of the Wild was on the Wii U and a launch game for the Switch. Mm. So you know, The Last of Us Remastered was released a year after the original game. Mm-hmm. And Mark... Cerny said that optimizing for the PS5 was extremely easy, so maybe they're delaying the game to allow for the upgraded version to be available alongside the PS4 game. Okay. Maybe the, the PS5 version will get the DLC for cheaper or something as a package deal to in- entice folks to, to buy the hardware, possibly. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I just If you look at what's coming down the, down the line with Microsoft, Microsoft is launching with their biggest franchise, Halo, mm-hmm. this year. What does what does Sony have as of right now? We don't know, mm-hmm. but if they can say, okay, you got you got Halo, cool. We got The Last of Us Part Two, as well optimized as, for the PS Five. Yeah, that's a good that's that's good competition. Yeah, it's true. I think Sony because they took a break from E three last year, and I think this is partially the reason why. Because so? they were waiting, like they they didn't have enough at the time that E3 happened last year, but they were like biding their time until they could like make all these big announcements about the PS5, all these games, because this is a big game year 
for Sony. So I mean, Final Fantasy came out this month. Mm-hmm. Resident Evil Three Resident remake Evil 3. came out like what a week ago, something like. They're that. They're supposed to have Last of Us in May, and then Ghost of Tsushima in June. It was going right. to be just just game after game after game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in the midst of that, Nintendo's trying. Or there are rumors Nintendo's going to release remasters of their Mario games for their 35th oh, anniversary. Nice. But if you can get your hands on like a Nintendo Switch or something, because apparently it's like a hot commodity. Because they're great. I don't have one. Well, uh, well, you tripping. <laughs> You're always welcome to come over and play at my house, you and Tony. Yeah, sure. Come through. What you got? Everything. Animal Crossing? Except that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm, yeah, I, mm-hmm. I don't think I have time... I I said on another show, maybe it was with you. I don't really. I think I need games that have a story and direction. Tell me what to do. Mm. Just hey, go dig for fossils every day and yeah, catch bugs. It's like, I mean, I don't want to dismiss the game. I want everyone to know that when the first game came out years ago, like in, was it was two thousand four, two thousand three. I played that game for three months straight. Mm-hmm. It was it was it was very addicting. But I don't think with my lifestyle right now, I have that kind of. Yeah, time or interest really to care. I can understand why people like it. It's mm-hmm. the same reason people like Minecraft. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, for me, if I wanted to create something, then I would play The Sims. Like I'm a Sims person. Okay. And I feel like The Sims has uh, a broader, you know, like it's an open world. You can do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. Whereas Animal Crossing, like it seems fun and it seems addicting from what everyone is saying, but like there's kind of you know this currency that you have to use and this kind you know it, it's really simple it, it really isn't that complicated it's just i don't think it's just it's for me anymore yeah that's fine that. it's like you know i played the hell out of pokemon blue when it came out when i was in middle school but now when i think about actually buying a pokemon game i'm just yeah like I'm, I'm good like i'm okay yeah let's get on to resident evil 3 though oh man you got a lot to say about this game i, I tony this is for you <laughs> I, I played the demo and I had a good time with it. There's the new mechanic where you can you can do a perfectly timed dodge roll. Right. To avoid bites. Mm-hmm. I think the the level of detail is still as stunning as RE2. Mm-hmm. But I think it's still it's unfortunate that you can't interact with a lot of it. Mm-hmm. It's just just there to be seen. Like even in The Last of Us, you know, our game I can at least use a random brick or bottle on the ground to distract mm. or kill. Like I, I can't wait for a version where I can really interact more with the environment. I want to be able to push shelves on zombies and pin them down, or I want to put heads into cars and slam them and bust their heads. Like you know, mm. like survival horror with this game is item management, which is cool. However, as Capcom moves into next gen, I, I really want more to do. Like, like I'm desperate. Let me like I don't know. Oh my God! There's a piece of shredded glass on the ground. I can just mm. stab someone in the eye with it. You know, I, I really want to be, be desperate and scrant and like frantically look around. Yeah. And find stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, I like maybe I can't pause for a certain part of the game until I clear I clear the room. Mm-hmm. I guess I have to like scramble for it. You know. Yeah. You want the thrill. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's it borders on this amazing realism but then just absurdity in regards to like what you can really do within the game it looks so real but i have to shoot zombies what five times in the head to put them down yeah and then they and then even in this game it's worse than resident evil 2 where they just get back up for no reason right 
And it's like, what? Like, what, what's the reason for this? They get back up after a long time. So you could think they're dead, but then you walk by them again and it's like, nope. Yeah. And it's not even a long time. Like, I, I cleared a room out and I went to go grab a, you know, a key or some tool from the room. And I walked back out and they're just, and they're just, they're just getting up. I'm just mm-hmm. like, it really threads that razor line of realism and, and silliness yeah. to me. I can understand that. But please, I want to hear your thoughts on, so you watched your man play. What did, what'd you think? Um, I thought it was interesting. Uh, like to, to be fair, my, my first experience with Resident Evil, I didn't play any of them, but I watched, uh, I watched Tony. That's my partner. I watched him play seven first, the Mm -hmm. biohazard. Mm -hmm. And that wasn't as scary as I thought it would be. Then I watched him play the remake of two recently. Mm Mm-hmm. And that was a little bit scarier. I thought the graphics were better. And I thought that it was more realistic. Like you had to put the boards on the windows to keep the zombies from coming in and all this other stuff. And then this past weekend, I watched him like literally charge through the free remake. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was similar to two. But like you said, it seemed like they made it a little harder just for the hell of it. Like, you know, you thought you killed the zombies, but... Not yet until you literally have to blast their head open or something like that. Or like Nemesis. Yo, I will admit Nemesis scared me a few times. Like literally everything could be quiet and then boom, pops out Nemesis like out of nowhere. So I thought it was, I never played the original, so I can't really compare it. But I thought for a game, it was, it was quite entertaining. Do you think it's worth 60 bucks or should folks wait? Oh, that is the question. I, I wait for that sale. Uh, we were actually talking about that earlier. Uh, I think if you really like the game and you really like having a challenge, then it might be worth it to you. Mm-hmm. But for me, I would pay less. Okay. Personally. Okay. Because it would take me, like, I'm not the kind of person that can like search and put two and two together and okay I have to figure this out I'm not that kind of person I need some direction so for me I would get frustrated very quickly and I would probably quit and it would be a waste of money for me but for people who like those kinds of games with puzzles Mm -hmm. and you know whatnot or for people who just like the Resident Evil franchise it might be worth it I heard it was a little shorter than the than the RE2 as well it is, but it didn't feel like it. Maybe because we played through it over the course of a couple of days, mm-hmm. but like it was very, you were very, um, how can I say, you were very immersed. Thank you. Ah, <laughs> oh, I live in Korea. I forgot, like I forget all my English. It happens when you're an English teacher. You're <sighs> speaking so simple. You forget. You forget words. It's ridiculous. But yeah, you 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 become really immersed in mm-hmm. what's happening and in, in the world and. You know, it, like I said, if you like a challenge mm-hmm. and you don't mind, you know, having to to fight and figure something out a few times again and again, then it's all for you, especially Nemesis. Because I, when I tell you, it felt like every single part with him felt like one, you know, those bad dreams that you have where like you have to move and you're trying to move, but like you're just moving like spaghetti or something in slow motion yeah Yeah. it's like that and i've never screamed green herb so much in my entire life it's like green herb tony green herb like (laughs) (laughs) use the green herb (laughs) and he was stressing me out i was like why are you going back in the room i have to collect all the items no forget the items just go 
like I, I just I got very stressed out. So, yeah, we got to have you in the real apocalypse. If the real apocalypse, come, I was waiting for the zombie apocalypse to come, man. You just give me a sword and call me Michonne because I'll be ready. I'll we'll be see. Ready. We'll see. Take no prisoner. Fuck them herbs. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's move on to. Uh, actually, I want to talk before we get to Steven Universe. We recently got news about the PlayStation controller being revealed. Hmm. And the surprising thing is it's it's white. We haven't had a white Sony console since the original was gray. And then they put out kind of a, a white one when they kind of refined it a little bit. What do you mean? The PS4 is white. It has a has a white version, but it's not like it's base. Um... It's base. There have been variants of, of systems, but the original system released was black. Hmm. Black and blue. And now this one seems white and blue. Uh, someone said on social media somewhere that this controller looks like the the time travel suits from Avengers Endgame. So that you know, it's it's gonna. It kind of reminds me of uh, if you ever watched Neon Genesis Evangelion. Started to, but not the whole thing. Why? Ray has a has this kind of white suit that kind of reminded me of of that. I can see that. But yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I mean, obviously, like the specs are cool, but just having a brand new design is also very cool for the decade. You know, very fitting. I, I don't hate it, but, and this was pointed out to me by someone in, on, like, in Facebook comments somewhere underneath the, the news or whatever, but it might not be great for people with smaller hands like me. Like, it's very bulky and large, and, you know, it'll, like, for me, I, I have to take some time to get used to a controller. I, and my hands aren't, I don't know. Do my hands look big? I don't know. I think your hands look, about that's, average you're not like a, you're not a, a part weird of, you're question. not you're not a part of the lollipop guild <laughs> but like someone did point that out and it's just like it might be uncomfortable for people with different dimensions of dimension sizes of hands or whatever I but think, okay go ahead uh, also i think that it it kind of just looks like the xbox controller and the play like the playstation controller just had a baby yeah and it just kind of looks chunkier you know what i mean we won't know until we get our hands on it like to me, I don't, I don't, because even if it has familiar sticks on them, we don't know if those sticks are bigger or smaller. Yeah. So we're we're, we're kind of judging the dimensions by what we know, but we don't really know anything at this point. So you know, I, I have faith. I don't think Sony's going to alienate people with small hands. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't think they're going to dramatically change the size. Yeah. They're going to they're going to try to hit that. It just looks common denominator. A little clunky. Okay. It looks like it. But other than that, like, I'm I'm open to it. Like, you know. Yeah. Let's go from gory, dark Resident Evil 3 to the opposite side of the spectrum <laughs> with uh, this ultra-bright TV show that has taken an entire generation by storm. Steven Universe. Marquita wow. is a huge fan of this show. I mean, Steven Universe also gets kind of dark, too. So Does it? <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I, like I said, I've... I told her before I've tried to get into the show like Man. twice now. It's 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 been hard for me. What season are you on? So uh, I watched episodes one through four, mm-hmm. and I it wasn't doing it for me. Mm-hmm. And so I Googled essential Steven Universe episodes, and I watched I think episode maybe ten twenty something, and then I watched the last episode of season one, mm-hmm. and that seemingly got a little like it kind of picked up. I didn't have any context for what was happening, like the drama there, mm-hmm. but it's it just felt more interesting. I never got a chance to finish the second half of that mm-hmm. 
arc though because on netflix they have season one and season four but mm-hmm. not two which is ridiculous so yeah so yeah maybe i'll try to pick i'll, I'll try to pick it up I, I i downloaded the movie mm-hmm. and it was like a musical that i was just like i think with that show mm, you have a view on one piece and that is just too many episodes and for me and the art style <clears throat> okay yeah okay that's fine so the art style and the and the length is crazy for you but for me the steven universe art really just does nothing f- for me mm. and and i feel like the episodes kind of meander but obviously i understand that they're setting things up for things to come mm-hmm. but i feel like it takes for me personally it takes too long to get there whereas with one piece i think even after episode 4 there's already like a heartbreaking Mm-hmm. like reveal which kind of tells you why luffy is why he's the way he is and, and, and what he's going what he's aiming for it, it it already sets that up there's mm-hmm. already by episode eight there's like two arcs many arcs that have already happened i feel like i just feel like the pacing is a little better but you know it's, it's whatever like honestly when i first saw one piece i also hate the art because i was a big naruto fan i was like yeah. this art of naruto is way better the choreography is way better mm-hmm but once you get into One Piece, I think the character's the heart, I think, uh, is great. Um, I'm not going to hash out a, a One Piece, go watch One Piece debate <laughs> on here. But uh, <laughs> let's get to Steven Universe because you, you love the show. The series is over. Yeah, it's bittersweet. Yeah. I feel the same way about Steven Universe that I feel about Bojack Horseman. Mm, okay. And even though they're completely different shows... I think that the fact that they both handle a lot of adult themes and a lot of uh, mental health themes as well, um, I think that the fact that they they handle a lot of topics that are relatable to us in, you know, of course, modern times, especially millennials, it it makes the show phenomenal. And, of course, Rebecca Sugar is the, she's, I think she was the, was she the first... Oh, I can't remember. Rebecca Sugar is like the 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 first uh, female director for a cartoon on Cartoon Network. Am I right about that? A schooler. Uh oh, doing some research. I know she's the first for something. She is the first woman to independently create a series mm-hmm. for Cartoon Network. Right. I don't know how much you guys know about Steven Universe, but many of the characters, the the gems as they're called. Um, they are technically, they technically have no gender, but they identify with she, her pronouns. And there's a lot of, uh, feelings that a lot of feelings and emotions that, um, come with some of the things that they do. So, you know, including, uh, a lot of Steven Universe fans will know the idea of fusion. So it's not a spoiler, like you'll learn what they do when you watch it. But, um, fusion is basically when two gems feel enough for each other or when like their bodies and their minds can uh, match up so well together that they fuse into a completely different gem and at first to be honest at first I thought it was an allegory for sex but it's not you know and at first when I when I watch the show I'll admit like you know I I didn't understand like a lot of different concepts going on but then it made more sense. Like it, it wasn't about, you know, it wasn't this allegory for sex that I was thinking. It was literally like two beings coming together as one. 
And it doesn't like it doesn't have to be about, you know, physical love or something like that. Like there's I'm not going to say who, but there's one character who is fused continuously with two separate gems because those gems literally love each other. Mm -hmm. For them, the bond is so strong that they can stay together without separating. So it's just like it's one of those things where it's. When people say Steven Universe is pure love on, on TV, it really is. And you, you can understand that once you see what all the characters go through, especially Steven. He goes through a lot. Yeah, I, I've read about all that. I've read about the its approach to, to queerness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, just, I think it's, even though it's hard, it's not for me or yet, or I really haven't gotten to it yet, I think it's great to have different visions and direction and execution for children, for adults. That's what representation is all about. And so I think that's what this show is about. And so it, it gets a lot of lot of lot of respect from me. It's everyone who loves that show loves that show. It yeah. has a very intense fandom and it's undeniable for sure. Yeah. It's it it's amazing. I'm glad the show was made. Mm-hmm. I think that's the kind of show that when when we were young, the shows that really hit us were the ones that really took big swings, big chances. Mm-hmm. Batman, the animated series, Samurai Jack, mm-hmm. Justice League. And I think this is the kind of show that I'm excited to see what comes out of the kids who grew up watching that show, like what they're going to create right. off of this. I can't think of many children's shows today that are swinging for the fences like this show seems to be doing. Yeah. So, yeah. I I will say as a person, like, I'm I'm not afraid to admit, like, you know, I struggle with mental health and whatnot. Like, mm-hmm. I think most people do. But as a person with mental health struggles each day, like, Steven Universe helped me to, like, get through a lot of that and it helped me to kind of navigate my feelings and my thoughts, mm-hmm. especially the songs. Like, it sounds dumb, you know, oh, the soundtrack, the songs is just a sing-along. But, like, literally the songs in context with what's happening in the show. Like, if I feel down for any reason, if I feel like I'm going to spiral... I listen to a Garnet song, if you guys know, Made From Love. <laughs> like, it's, it, you have to look up this song. It, I think you might have watched it. it you said that <clears throat> you watched that one with Jasper. Mm-hmm. And you watched the fight between Jasper as and they Garnet. Were, as they were fighting, they were, they, were, they were singing a song. Yeah, yeah. that's the song. Yeah, it's, it's such a unique show, how they approach everything how they approach the world building how they approach even the fights mm-hmm. i think the only time i've seen a fight on the backdrop to a musical mm-hmm. was i think the powerpuff girls had a fight i think i want to say with like the gay and green gang or something and they did a yeah. kind of they're like they're kind of like a rock thing while they were beating them up or you ever watch spectacular spider-man no not when i was younger it was really it's really great this is this came this came out in like the the mid 2000s or late 2000s but mm-hmm. there was one cool episode where spider-man was fighting i think silver sable or someone and there was and it was like in the backdrop of an opera that was really cool yeah but the way that this show is it's like like that whole movie was, was a musical it felt like yeah and i was like i guess because i hadn't watched anything prior to that i was like what is going on like yeah. where's it's so unique but yeah it really resonates with, with people it's uh it's definitely it should be on your watch list, I think. Okay. Yeah, for sure. Cool. Well, let us know what you all think of Steven Universe out there. Did it move you? Are you singing along with Arkita in your car, in your headphones? Come on now. You know. <laughs> and also Estelle plays Garnet. So 
if you like black British talent. The woman who who, uh, who sings uh, who sang American Boy. Maybe American Boy. I mean, American she's quite boy. talented though. That song's great. Yeah. Well, do you have anything else to say about your your uh, show? Watch it. It's amazing. It'll help you get through life. It'll make you cry. It'll make you laugh. That's about it. <laughs> made you cry. It will make you cry. It made you cry? Yeah, it made me cry multiple times. Wow. Yeah. It's like that. It's very powerful. Wow. Mm-hmm. It's almost like, it's almost, uh, it made me cry almost as much as like My Hero Academia made me cry. It made you cry too? Yeah, that made me cry. Wow, I haven't gotten that far to, to get those feelings. Oh, come on. Man. You, I think I, the only time I've cried on an animation, I, I cried on Naruto like once or twice. I've cried on One Piece like probably six, six, eight times at this point. Everyone says they cried on One Piece. What are y'all crying for? I'm not going to spoil that here, but (laughs) I'm telling you, that show is, oh man. Wow. Yeah, everyone has has a hard backstory. Mm -hmm. And then even things that happen in the present, they're just like, wow, you don't see things coming. And Mm -hmm. and even if you do, it's still like, oh, I didn't want it to happen, but it happened. I need to get back on One Piece. I need to try. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. But right now I'm watching One Punch Man, so, you know. Okay. Yeah, I finished season one. I never, ever finished two. I'm on season two. It's cool? It's really fun. Okay, I'll check it out. I'll, I'll watch it after I finish editing the show. So on that note, we're going to finish this segment here. Where can they find you? Uh, Well, I'm only letting people know about my Instagram. So you can find me on Instagram at K-E-E-T-A-N-I. That's Kitani. Again, on Instagram. So shoot me a message, whatnot. I'm trying to be more active, but I don't know what to to post. Whatever you feel. Yeah, but if I just keep posting like video game screenshots, just people are gonna be like, "What's?" Post this? yourself singing Steven Universe songs on. Join, yeah, because people like are TikTok gonna want that. Oh no, I can't even figure TikTok out. I feel like I'm at the the threshold of young versus old. Like I cannot figure out TikTok. Ouch. Okay. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I really can't. Everyone has one now, and I'm just like, how do you work this button? This, and then I just I downloaded it like twice, and then I deleted it. Twice. My phone's. I think my phone's too old to run TikTok anyway. But I just think I'm already on so many accounts, and I'm single-handedly kind of controlling blurred up which you can find on facebook at b-l-e-r-d-u-p and on instagram at b-l-e-r-d-p-r-u-p and on twitter at b-l-e-r-d-u i'm controlling all those things all those by myself mm-hmm. and it's already a chore i don't want to get on tiktok and hey guys let me sing a little dance and jig for you like i don't i don't need all that like i have things to do yeah for sure we're gonna end it here take a short break and when we return we're going to celebrate the release of two classic hip-hop records that released on the same day 30 years ago this week. Are you enjoying this show so far? You know, I've had a few folks come up to me and they ask, Oh, Brendan, how can I get into podcasting? I hear your podcast and it makes me want to try it too. I'm glad you asked. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. First, it's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many other streaming services. You can make money from your podcast with minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm, A-N-C-H-O-R period F-M to get started. 
And we're back. I want to thank Marquita for being here. And I have a new guest. Jack Zilla has returned. What's up, man? Yeah, uh, Jack Zilla, actor, DJ, producer, promoter, Falconer. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I think every time I bring you on the show, I'm just going to have some random job. That sounds good to me. I guess Falconer's I'd, pretty cool. Come on. I guess, yeah. I guess I I do so much stuff, man. Gosh. Yeah. No, I, it broke my heart the other day. My, one of my close friends said to me, dude, with all the stuff you've done, you should be rich by now. I said, uh, but I'm not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But you're doing what you love. And that's, that's, that's great. That's it. That's the wealth. Yep. Yeah, I remember, you know, I was at a time teaching, DJing, teaching self-defense, and everyone was like, man, you should be, like, loaded. I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm I'm good. Right, know? right. I enjoy the things that I do. Yeah. You know? Was it the I live to work, not work to live kind there of thing? There you go. That's it. Yeah. But given what's happening right now, though. Man. Man, man, man. We're all going to have to be on that grind. Seriously. I, I hope everybody out there is being safe. And and if if I could give a, a fifteen second spiel, dude, listen, everybody. I'm glad you're you're thinking about what's going on. I'm glad you're being proactive. I'm glad you're you're reading the news and following what people are saying. But come on with all these conspiracy theories. Focus on what the doctors and the scientists are saying. Stop trying to be, uh, stop trying to read into what every military person you know is saying yes they could have some valid points but none of that is affecting this the fact that this is a virus and we're on lockdown so focus on what's in at hand and then we'll deal with this 5g nonsense or whatever later please yeah focus on your self-development and focus on solidarity because we're not going to be able to return to normal focus on yourselves and your community not crazy theories yeah, there's no there's no coming new world order. This is the new world order. We're in it. We're about we're living it. We're walking into it now. This is the cyber age. Yeah, Get used to it. We're already in a surveillance state. Yeah, you already you know, the government's giving trillions of dollars of bailouts and stuff to corporations. We're already in this place. So <laughs> everything that that people are afraid of is already happening. Yeah, it's like they're like waiting for RoboCop or something. <laughs> yeah, okay. fo- focus on the aliens. That's that's a better conspiracy yes all right let's not get too far off track (laughs) but we may come back to that later who knows in this segment of the show we are going to celebrate the 30th anniversary of two classic hip-hop records that released on the same day people's instinctive travels and the paths of rhythm the debut album by a tribe called quest and fear of a black planet by public enemy they released on april 10th 1990 wow happy anniversary yeah and just Two albums that are just on two completely different trajectories. Absolutely. With rap. We're not only going to celebrate them, but hopefully by the end of the show, we can start talking about how they can apply to today as well. Mm -hmm. I said on the previous show that I hated rap when I was younger, but from birth to about eight, I loved it. My, My mom and dad's music tastes largely overlapped, but my dad leaned more towards classic rock, your ZZ Tops, your Leonard Skinner, Guns N' Roses, and my mom leaned more towards rap and R&B, and that was kind of where I was. I was too young to fully appreciate the golden age as it was happening, but but during college I did a lot of digging for old school classics, and like you know the feeling of hearing a song from your childhood and it kind of lights up a dusty part of your brain. Right, right. When I first heard Benita Applebaum as a young adult, it hit me like that. Hmm. It's it's hard to remember details of where you were when you first heard a song as a child, but you can remember the the vibe. Exactly. And if there's one word we can use with tribe, it's vibe. That's right. 
So interestingly, I guess 1990, um, when it came out, my brothers, I, I'm eight years younger than my middle brother, 12 years younger than my older brother. In 1990, of course, I was in elementary school. So that entire era really, I guess, I, I didn't really start knowing and fully understanding hip hop until I guess 95, 96, mm -hmm. right? Of course, I knew earlier songs, but my entire relationship with hip hop from that era was through my brothers. Mm -hmm. And I remember specifically for this song, my middle brother was getting ready to go out on a date, getting ready to take my parents' station wagon out on a date. And <laughs> he was preparing with this song and telling me, you know, singing this song, Bonita Apple Bum, Bonita Apple Bum, you got to put me on, I guess. That's actually my connection. So whenever I hear that song, for some reason, I go back to that memory. That that's So the song has been special to me. It always makes me think about my brothers. Mm -hmm. But then you think about the lyrics themselves. You're like, oh man, this this was a real. This was one of my favorite hip hop love songs of all time. Yeah, that vibe is, and that sample that that Roy Ayers sample oh, is man. gorgeous. Oh man, and that simple. That's that's classic. You hear that song? Oh yeah. That sound automatically. That and then I guess the when Lauren Hill used it as well. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, man. Well, let's go back for the folks who don't know much about this album. So on the last show, we talked about uh, Like Water for Chocolate turning 20. Mm -hmm. Before Common and most stuff were Soquarians, they were influenced by and were a part of the Native Tongues Posse, mm -hmm. which was the first alternative hip-hop collective following the example of Africa, Bambata, and the Zulu Nation. The trademark of the Native Tongues was their more playful, abstract, positive, spiritual, and oftentimes Afrocentric lyrics. Their production was notably more eclectic and was critical to introducing the masses to jazzy rap. Mm -hmm. Everyone who enjoys that chill hop on YouTube yep. with that raccoon, pay respect to Q-Tip. That's right. The orange, uh, orange, orange is on, on Trump now. <laughs> 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 the origins of, I'm sorry, I'm still so, so laughing here. <laughs> <laughs> the origins of the Native Tongues can be traced to the Jungle Brothers in 1988. When, yeah. They released their first album, Straight Out the Jungle, a more straightforward boom-bap record. DJ Red Alert put the group in contact with De La Soul and Chocolate Quest, and their first posse cut, Buddy, was featured on De La Soul's Three Feet High and Rising, which I think, I don't know about you, I think that's the crown jewel of this trilogy of debuts and is the, the quintessential Native Tongues album. Okay. I, there's so many flavors on that album. Mm -hmm. There's, there's, you know, I know it's a that kind of hippie-ish vibe on that. You had Say No Go, it was political, but dancey. I mean, there was just so much, the skits, there was just so much energy in that album. I really wish we could have done a show on that last year. It might have to actually do a Native Tongues, you know I mean, that kind of show on itself. Ooh, that would be, ooh, that would be like three hours long. At a, mm. <laughs> in 1990, Tribe released People's Instinctive Travels. This album differs from the preceding albums with smoother and jazzier production. Q-Tip was present during the Three Feet High and Rising recording and put the lessons learned there into his own work. While I like this album, and it has some strong singles, it isn't to me as cohesive as their two follow-up albums. Right. I mean, Midnight Marauders will always be my favorite Tribe album, mm. period. Oh, yeah. 
you know, but this is, this was a great introduction. This oh, kind yeah. of, you know, set the standard for what they were going to do in the future. Oh, yeah. It also kind of felt like a, a Q-Tip and Friends album because Q-Tip did most of the verses and he did pretty much all the production. I think Ali Shaheed only did the, the scratching mm-hmm. and mixing. Q-Tip even dropped this album on his own birthday. Oh, wow. He turns 50 this week, hmm. but he dropped it on his birthday. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, as you said, I think you know, the work is still undeniable. You know, classic kids we talked about, Bonita, um, Can I Kick Can It? Can I Kick It? Man, yes, one of the, that was like, that was the freestyle chant. Like, mm. that was the circle freestyle chant. Right. And, and uh, especially in our nerdy hip-hop boom-bap circles. Oh, like, yeah. We would still, in the early 2000s, mm-hmm. circle up and, and Can I Kick It? And then get in, everybody would jump in with a freestyle. Like, that's classic, super classic. Yeah. Luck Lucian. Mm-hmm. It's a fun dedication to the French rapper, is it Lucien Revolution, I believe his name is. I don't want to lie to you. I, I know that one. Okay, no. <laughs> I, I'm, the rapper who was in it is actually a French rapper. Okay. That okay. Third, yeah. He, has a, he had a, a big song at that time. I forgot the name of it, though. Pubic Enemy is about the dangers of unprotected sex. Youthful Expression. I love the organ sample on Youthful Expression. Classic B boy track, I yeah. That's one of that's one of those like B boy tracks. Like legit in a battle, you hear it. You see somebody you know start getting that up up rock going. You get their face like all squinted up. Yeah, that's one of those. <laughs> yeah, I just I just love just but just the lyrics too. Just you know tips talking about politics, staying true to yourself, not selling out, and just overall his preference for peaceful rap in the era of violence that was growing with nwa and stuff like that mm-hmm. description of a fool is another social commentary track that appeals to drug dealers to stop poisoning their communities tip also talks about how a woman beater hits the wrong person and gets humiliating uh retribution for that and then you know on the outro he leaves how he enters just encouraging his listeners to consider a different way of living and viewing their community by chilling and being peaceful i mean this is just so different from what we were used to. I mean, De La Soul was on it, but the way that tribe tribe was just in a different, a different, different vibe. Right. We talked about. Right, and you can't you can't also forget about I guess one of the tracks that helped us learn U.S. geography, which is I left my wallet in El Segundo. Yeah, had no idea where El Segundo was until the future. It's like oh, when I moved out to L.A., it's like oh, that's where El Segundo is. <laughs> okay, got you. Oh, for sure. Did you know? that this was the first album to receive five mics from The Source magazine. I had no idea. Yeah. I forgot all about The Source magazine. Yeah. This album, man, it, its legacy, its impact, it, it cannot be overstated. Do you have any other comments about the album? No. I mean, I, I said everything I had planned on saying. This it was It's a classic album, but it wasn't. If we, I could talk about Midnight Marauders for another 20 minutes, but this one, not really. Yeah. I did see, I did see actually... Uh, in the documentary that I watched uh, after the death of Fife, I saw. Times in life. Yes, um, I actually saw parts of the the making of this album on video. Mm-hmm. It was really really cool to watch how he actually took the sample, what he did with the samples, how he laid them down before there were you know all of these you know crazy beat machines that we have. 
that was pretty cool to watch. And he was, what, 19 when he made this album? Right. That's insane. Crazy. Insane. Not just him making just the beats, but just his overall philosophies on life. Mm -hmm. It's incredible. Like, these are kids. That's right. You know? Same with De La Soul, right? They were mm -hmm. like 19 when they made their album. It's 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 insane. Yeah, man. They, it's it's also awesome to see the amount of acknowledgement that they get for all of their children, basically the J. Coles, the Kendricks, the everyone that they have inspired that we listen to now. Mm -hmm. Like, and the other thing is their their music is timeless, right? I I, I believe even this current generation could go back and listen to their music and appreciate it. You know, there's some music that it's very difficult. Mm -hmm. Like one of the albums that we're going to talk about, like Public Enemy, is going to be a lot more difficult for for the current generation to uh, to listen to. Mm -hmm. But this, but Tribe Called Quest, and you know, the music that we're talking about now, I think is easier to appreciate, especially for for music lovers, for people who really love music itself. The jazz elements, you know, the actual musicality of the album, it's it's you know beyond compare, in my opinion. And of course, obviously, compared to PE, it's less threatening. Eggs, well, it's more too. accessible. So. There's that. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah. Let's let's get into PE. Fear of a Black Planet. Classic. I actually had this one on cassette. Yeah? Yeah. When'd you buy it? I don't I found it actually. Um I think yeah, I think I found my found my brother's uh, public enemy cassette and never gave it back. <laughs> when like did you listen to it when you were that young? Yeah. How how old were you when you heard this album? Um nine? Nine or ten? Ooh. <laughs> yeah. But that album had I didn't know what I was listening to. Okay. You know, Fight the Power and all. I didn't know what I was listening to. It wasn't until I got older and wanted to make a CD from my old tapes, mm -hmm. right, that I rediscovered this album, and it had a lasting impact on my life. But I, we'll talk about that later. It's one specific song that had a lasting impact on my life that kind of helped to shape where, where I headed uh, in my professional career, believe it or not. Sure, okay. Let's get to that. Well, in a minute, again, I want to backtrack and just give a little bit of history for folks. This is the third album by Public Enemy, one of the forefathers of modern political rap. Chuck D himself said in an interview that their second album, It Takes a Nation of Millions to Hold Us Back, was for the nation. And with Fear of a Black Planet, this was for the world. One of the producers of the, of the Bomb Squad called it the end to a trilogy. This album released at the height of their popularity with their most popular single, Fight the Power, which was featured eight times in Spike Lee's movie, Do the Right Thing. Mm -hmm. In an interview, Hank Shockley, who was a, a producer of the Bomb Squad, said Spike's original idea was to have Public Enemy do a hip-hop version of Lift Every Voice and Sing. Wow. Can you imagine wow. how how completely different the vibe would have been? Wow. Right? And, you know, which is kind of a Negro anthem or spiritual. So I'm quoting him now. But I was like, no. <laughs> you imagine Flavor Flav doing Lift Every Voice and Sing? Yeah, boy, Lift Every... No. I, I, I can't even do a proper impression. Yeah, but yeah, so Shockley, he, he said, I opened the window and I asked him to stick your head outside. Man, what sounds did you hear? 
you're not going to hear lift every voice and sing it in every car that drives by. We need to make something that's going to resonate on the street level. After going back and forth, he said, Spike Lee said, all right, I'll let you guys go in there and see what you guys come back with. And we got to fight the power. Wow. Wow. That's a great story. I'm trying to think in the 90s or 1990, who would have been, or because it came out, the single came out in 89, who would have been like the the R&B singer of the day to sing while Chuck D kind of rapped over that? I don't know. Who would that be? I mean, Mary J. Blige was out, right? In 89? Was she? I don't know. I don't know how, like, when her first album came out. But that's what I'm let's, thinking. I don't let's, know. Let's be smart. Hold on. 1989. Tina Marie. <laughs> 1989 R&B Madonna. albums. <laughs> Blondie. Let's see. You had Janet Jackson. Boy George. Babyface. Regina Bell. Madonna. Stephanie. Heavy D. Janet Jackson. Um, Jody Watley. Jody Watley, yeah. Lenny Kravitz put out an album in 89? I did not know that. Diana Ross, Tina Turner. Wow, this is this is interesting. Jody Whiteley's the only Michelle A. Maybe Michelle A. Mm. Queen Latifah was her album came out in '89. But she was rapping. She wasn't really singing on that yeah, too much. She can sing. Yeah. We just didn't know it. Then. Didn't yeah. know it then. Yeah, I don't know. I thought I could find somebody, but no. Okay. Who sang the chorus on "Ladies First? I don't know. Whoever that is, could have been that person. Okay. But yeah, just fight the power. Listening to it again and watching that video, it's it's the kind of energy we need today. Mm-hmm. It starts off with an infomercial on the original march on Washington, led by Martin Luther King, and Chuck D cuts it off saying that they're, they're done with that playbook. Right. The most standout lyrics were in the final verse about Elvis. Most of my heroes don't appear on no stamps. <laughs> what a bar. Right. What a bar. It's like those are the kind of lines that physically widen your eyes mm-hmm. when you hear it for the first time. Mm-hmm. F him and John Wayne. Yeah. <laughs> when was the last time a song made your eyes widen at the truth? I, I don't know. Um. I couldn't really tell you. Like, there's some, like, um, what was the song? Untitled by uh, Kendrick Lamar. Didn't necessarily open my eyes to anything new, but it had such a strong impact on on me and kind of reminded me, I guess, of what I could see. You're talking about the, his, his performance on, like, Stephen Colbert? Yes. Wasn't that Untitled? He, he did two of them. He did one on Colbert. He did another one, I think, on... Fallon or something like somewhere else or no he, he did one on he did one on Colbert and then he did he did one at the Grammys I believe I'm talking about the one um we said what did the black man say that was on Colbert that joint that's the one I'm talking about when I heard that for the very first time um when I when I saw it on Colbert it, like I I think I just started sweating literally because it really it reached a, a point in my brain that I guess 
it resonated with everything that I already felt. Mm. Like I have songs that that I've written that have similar themes to mm -hmm. that. And I was when I heard it, I was like, that's what I was trying to say. I couldn't quite get it together as well as he did. Mm. But this is exactly what I was trying to say. And it kind of just, it, uh, yeah, man, great, great, great song. It's an amazing song. So yeah, in this, in the Fight the Power video, you see posters of King, Angela Davis. This wasn't a choreographed video, but but it was shot by Spike Lee. Mm. But it really felt like a real rally with adults and children cheering. It was Afrocentric, not exclusive to women. There were disabled people featured in the video. For the 90s, it, it felt like everyone was welcome in their revolution. Very progressive. But listening to the record, there was a little homophobia to be found. Uh, there was one song called Meet the G That Killed Me. Remember mm. that song? No, I don't remember that one. So, yeah, it's it's like a short, like, minute kind of one-verse interlude. It was really weird. This album kind of has a, a lot of kind of weird right. interludes right. laced into it that I'm not a huge fan of. But this one suggested that HIV or AIDS came from gay men. Hmm. But again, luckily, this was a very short song on a long album. And we're going to get to your song now, uh, Burn Hollywood Burn, because there were there were definitely more progressive messages than not. Yeah. And so on Burn Hollywood Burn, Jack's, Jack's uh, favorite song, Chuck D enlists Ice Cube and Big Daddy Kane to vent about racial stereotypes that black people play on TV and in movies. I mean, that think about just that part in itself. Public Enemy... Ice Cube, Big Daddy Kane on I mean, one song. Couldn't that, I mean, I could be wrong, but just Ice Cube and Chuck D, that seems to be one of the first major, like, coastal crossovers. Right, it could be. I can't think of anything that preceded that. I mean, all I know is we had NWA in the West who was fighting basically the same battle mm -hmm. as Public Enemy in the East, but they were just doing going about it two different ways, obviously, but right. they were fighting the same battle, stood for the same things. And so to see just even both of them on the same song was outstanding. But then you have Big Daddy Kane, who nobody would expect. You know, Big Daddy Kane is focusing on being a lover. And, you know, he has a lot of misogynistic lyrics, in, you know, in his music. And, like, he's in, he's just that guy. But And he was one of the greatest rappers of all time. Let me just plug that in there. Um, but then you have him on the song, who nobody expected to hear, like, these kind of political lyrics from. I think he took the song. Oh, he definitely had the it best was, verse was, on the song. Uh, the verse, and I'm going to actually play it for everyone. So just have a listen really quick, and we'll we'll come back. As I walk the streets of Hollywood Boulevard, big and hard it was for those who started the movies, portraying the roles of butlers and maids, slaves and hoes. Many intelligent black men seem to look uncivilized when on the screen. Like I guess I figure you to play some jigaboo on the plantation. What else can a nigga do? And black women in this profession, after playing a lawyer, out of the question. For what they played, Angel Mama is the perfect term. Even if now she got a perm, so let's make our own movies like Spike Lee. Cause the roles being offered don't strike me. There's nothing that the black man could use. The burn Hollywood burn man the intro to that song like Chuck D or Chuck D's verse oh my god that burn Hollywood burn man as soon as he said it ah oh, I just remember just feeling something I man I guess I feel stuff when it comes to music I said the same thing about Kendrick but like legit so what I was what I was gonna tell you earlier man 
so for those for those of you who don't know, my background is actually in television production. Mm-hmm. I studied TV production. I work. I used to work in uh, documentary filmmaking, and I used to work in the news, and all that. I've worked for a lot of a lot of different companies. Um, but actually, the song "Burn Hollywood Burn" was one of my influences. One of the reasons why I decided to get into the media. Um, I was, you know, it was one of those times when I was playing a song that was really too loud, and you know, my parents asked me, "What are you listening to?" And I said, "I'm listening to Public Enemy, the song Burn Hollywood Burn." And they asked me the question that parents should ask you: Do you know what that song means? We dissected it, and it kind of pushed me in a direction where I said, "Wow, our image." How important is our image actually on TV, and what can I do about it? Mm. And that kind of set the trajectory for my future. So that's why I actually got one of the reasons I got into TV production and, and got into documentary filmmaking in the very beginning. Wow! This song had a huge, huge impact on my life, and then um, even now, like when I listen to it, when I listen to it, you know, in preparing for this show, it had the exact same effect. Like it made me want to go pick up my camera again and just run outside. It just. The greatest songs on here, like Fight the Power, Burn Hollywood, Burn, Welcome to the Terror Dome, mm-hmm. they're just, they just supercharge you. Mm-hmm. That production, just from the Bomb Squad, just their kind of kitchen sink mm-hmm. technique is, it's incredible. I mean, the only one who comes close to it is LP. But uh, I knew you were going to plug LP at some point. It's, it's one of, <laughs> Bomb Squad's one of his biggest influences. I'm very excited for RTJ4. Yes, sir. But yeah, um, I actually hadn't fully heard this album. I only heard it completely for the first time last week Mm -hmm. when I was at the gym. And Burn Hollywood got me super pumped. Yeah, man. BDK's verse was just amazing. Man, and the... it's. Not even just the the actual verses, even just the chorus, the repeating of "Burn Hollywood, Burn," with the with the whistle blowing. That sounds like you know, I mean, the whistle blowing in the just back. Yelling that lady's in the just yelling, "Burn Hollywood, Burn." It sounds like a rally chant. You know what exactly. I mean? Like getting everybody. Let's burn Hollywood. Exactly. You know what I mean? And then the skit, I guess the I you know with them talking about what what movie they're gonna go see. Oh right. <laughs> yeah, it was like let's go watch Black Caesar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, on the notion of the woman in, in the chorus, this album celebrates black women on Revolutionary Generation. The song starts with a quote, the true worth of a race must be measured by the character of its woman. Mm. There are great lines in their focus on uplifting black women. And, you know, the, the black power movement was quite male dominated. So it was nice to see a leader in that movement speak up for the sisters out there. Yeah. And, you know, to, to bring it home to us blurreds, I think as blurreds, we've been in this renaissance for a while of being more inclusive. But of course, for a long time, nerd culture was white male dominated. And black nerd culture, their gatekeepers were men for a long time. That's right. You know. If you like anime, what was Goku's power level when he fought? You know, it's like all this BS uh, garbage. I'm so glad we're we're getting past that. Yes, sir. Um, and on that note, you know, obviously, Public Enemy is anti-racist, but on Polly Wanna Cracker, they I don't love that title, but they they touched upon anti-blackness within the black community itself. Mm-hmm. And again, this is a thing that has permeated black nerd culture where people think they're too strange to be accepted by their own race and that they develop 
antagonism towards their own people. Mm -hmm. And it's sad. I'll be honest, even though I was interested in and dated black women throughout high school, college, and afterwards, sometimes I struggle with that and my own identity when I was, you know, younger. And I wish there were more songs about that kind of stuff. Black men especially need to be reminded of their privilege and what their women go through. Rhapsody did, did you hear Rhapsody's album last year? I Eve. did, I did hear it, yes. Yeah, she had a beautiful song called uh, Afini and touched upon that. I, that that really touched me. That was my favorite song on the album besides the um, Nina. Okay. And I've been reading Angela Davis, thanks to Mel sharing that link with me. Shout out to Mel. Yeah. Speaking of uh, strong black women. She she started doing um, some uh, readings on her page. No word. Like she's, she's trying to follow LeVar Burton's example and just reading short stories and stuff to people. Oh, that's what's up. She did it yesterday. It was really cool. Really I'll have cool. to check it out. Yeah. But yeah, she shared this Angela Davis book. And in that book, Angela Davis said essentially that movements are most powerful when they begin to affect the vision and perspective of those who do not necessarily associate themselves with those movements. Hmm. So to see Chuck D, one of the biggest rappers of the time, try to speak out about black feminism, even if a line or two didn't age too well, right? it's significant. You know, black men, you know, love your women, speak out for, uplift, celebrate, protect, and learn from them, and support platforms to let them speak, uplift, celebrate, and protect themselves. That's that's how we all grow. That's right. Do you want to say anything else? No, not really. I have a I have um an off mic and uh story about public enemy me and public enemy actually in person. Okay, we'll say that for later. I guess. Okay. Yeah. Well, out here, I'll I'll close my section up by this. Yeah, I mean, in in totality, this album I guess is the example. I think it sets the example for any current you know i i want to bring it back to the the modern day it kind of sets the example for any rapper who you know considers themselves conscious in the modern day you know you have like uh what's the brother's name d smoke or you know you have other guys who really 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 are getting into you know politics and as far as like that this album sets the standard for that i think like public enemy i i'm always a big fan of looking back and then proceeding and this is one of the albums that you kind of have to look back to. A lot of what the current generation does seems like they're just talking to an audience that um, they're hoping might be listening. Public Enemy developed their audience, you know, by any means. They had every segment of the pop, the black population covered, whether it was the hardcore militants or, you know, the... You know, just people in the hood who just were trying to, you know, make ends meet. Mm -hmm. They they spoke to them. They spoke to the women. They spoke to, as you said, the blurs. They spoke to every segment of the population. I think where a lot of so-called conscious rappers of the modern day uh, fail is they speak to only those who are willing to listen to conscious hip hop. I wish it weren't that way, but that's just my opinion. At, I at times, you can feel a bit elitist. There you go. Yeah. So it, you know, even who, the fandom. So it, I never felt like Public Enemy does that, or did that rather, and I think that's where they succeeded in building a movement where a lot of other artists today who may wish to build a movement uh, aren't quite getting there. They're not getting the same result. How do you feel about Lupe in that regard? I think Lupe, as as talented as he is, I think he had the potential to do it, um, but I think, I think he's just like people judged him. In a in a in a very interesting way, like there it was. I don't know. The when I look at Lupe, I look I just see a big banner that just says "Yeah, right" for some reason. 
Like he's super, super talented and he has a lot of great commentary and I agree with most of it I'll even say. Mm -hmm. But for some reason, I maybe it's just because of his presence on social media, just it just seems like it's just too much. A bit a bit ego. Yeah. Too much in there, yeah. And so I I think I don't know, I think you have somebody, for example, I don't know if you heard about, ah, man, it just sounds like we're just too too in love with Kendrick and TDE, but I don't know if you saw the new um, company that Kendrick just started. And uh, it's basically a media company right. where they have, you know, they're going to have a fashion line, they have video production, they have everything. And that platform, I think, has a better chance of doing what it is that some of these other artists might want to do because they're, they're attaching their own brand to something that can kind of reach further instead of just shouting on social media. And so I think that's why Lupe didn't quite get to, isn't quite getting the results that he might want to get. Yeah. I don't really remember him trying to like really push other rappers like that. It was just kind of like, it's just, this is my show. This is my thing. Mm -hmm. Ego again. Mm -hmm. But yeah. Even my, you know, my beloved Jay Electronica, same thing, same thing. You know, he, I you know, Islam aside, he just kind of forces it, forces himself and his beliefs and thoughts and, you know, onto what everybody, I guess, on what he wishes everybody would feel and think instead of trying to actually, instead of building something behind it, building a movement like he did in, in before when we actually fell in love with his music, it mm -hmm. felt like he was really building something. Sure. Now it just seems like he just pushes, you know, the NOI on everybody and mm -hmm. pushes his beliefs on everybody. I love the album, by the way. I loved it. I loved it. Okay. And we're not going to debate that today. Not, I debate but I loved it. it. I still do. Okay. Um, but that's the one thing I don't like about Jay Electronica. I love him musically, but just idealistically, just forcing the NOI on people, I don't, that's, I'm not feeling that. And, I mean, really, I don't want to debate it, but it's not really forcing the NOI, but not really putting much behind it. He's just saying words as opposed to like, here's a belief system. You know, we talked about Odyssey last week about how, and, and on our on our show too, we talked about how he doesn't really push Islam on people. He just pushes the positivity that he got from it, you know, that, that inspired him mm -hmm. and lessons learned and advice in that way, not just words, you know? Mm-hmm. Or right. or name name drops essentially. Right. Okay. Let's let's bring it back home to <laughs> to to these albums. These are all his children. These are all the pub, children of Public Enemy that we're talking about. Sure. You know, Rage, Rage Against the Machine. Oh man. I mean, all that stuff. I would love if RTJ Four had like Zach, Chuck, L, and Mike all together. You ever did a uh, early two thousands rock show? You ever did a rock show? Have I? Have yeah. I? Have, yes. have, have you have ever done an one? episode? On, on rock music. No, you should do it. Will you I, be there? I'm yes. I'm okay. all in. Okay, okay. I'm all in. All right, sure. I mean, you know, quarantine has you know knocked out all of our movies, so we'll have some some space. There you go. For sure, we can have a conversation about Zach De La Roca. All right, let me get let's get back to the to the albums. <laughs> My bad. No, you're good. This is cool. Yeah, I I think on on Jack's point about looking back to go forward i think with the coronavirus and its enormous strain on the oppressive systems we're accustomed to i think we're listening to these albums could be helpful guides i mean they're different styles but both albums push the boundaries of what's acceptable to be 
what to say and what to do. I think Tribe challenges you to love in the face of the madness and stay true to what makes you feel good, no matter how weird it is or how you may be ridiculed. I mean, even on the album, he talked about how pr- promoters wouldn't book them because they were so weird. As we spend a lot of time by ourselves while social distancing, learning or relearning to accept and love yourself could be a goal that goes from the back burner to the forefront. Right. PE preaches to aggressively question and fight the social economic system we're in. Not only does it attack from the outside, but it has infiltrated our own minds to make us limit and even attack ourselves. It preaches that we need to combat that influence for the sake of ourselves, our community, and the world. Hmm. So yeah, if you all haven't heard these albums, give them a listen. And if you have, revisit them. Listen to them again. Yeah. Well, yeah, that about wraps it up for for this episode. Good times. Yeah. I want to thank uh, Jack Zilla for his time and his perspective. My pleasure. Sorry about rambling so much. No, it was cool, man. I, you know, <laughs> I was great to have you here. Where can they find you? Uh, you can find me on Instagram at realjackzilla. Um, not the fake Jackzilla, the real one. Uh, you can also find me um, at Fame Creators Network, which is the company that we started here in Korea for fashion, art, music, and enter- and entertainment. Um, be on the lookout. Hopefully, we'll be able to meet up again soon so we can have another uh, networking event. I hope to see you there. And if not, uh, we hope to be putting out some cool content for you online soon. Are you in any like new movies or TV shows you want to plug? Or Nope. Uh, I just finished doing an audition where I had to dance, but no. What kind of dance? I don't know. Was it like a burn Hollywood burn dance? Like a jig and shuffle? <laughs> it was a cross. definitely wasn't a jig. Okay. But uh, it was a cross between the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air George Jefferson and Cliff Huxtable. Ooh, uh, good times. You have to show me that. You can show that on on IG I'll or something. I'll show you off here. I have it on my phone. <laughs> okay, cool. But yeah, man. But also, I want everybody to pay attention. Um, watch. I don't know if you can. Maybe you can tag Blurred Up, but you know, watch Brendan's page. Um, I brought it up last night to uh, several of my DJ friends. We're gonna try to get together and do a playlist battle. Who can? We'll create a subject. You know, maybe it's. I don't know, 90, 1995 hip-hop, maybe it's, you know, the the ladies of hip-hop, maybe whatever. And two of us are going to battle it out to see who can have the, who creates the best playlist. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it'll be fun. I think it'll be, you know, just something entertaining to do while we're quarantined. And, uh, yeah, look out for that. Yeah. And, of course, you can find Blurred Up on Facebook at B-L-E-R-D-U-P. We're on Instagram at B-L-E-R-D period U-P. We're on Twitter at B-L-E-R-D you, we are also on Blurred.com. Our partners, our sponsors, full of great content from a black cultural lens. And next week, I'm really excited. Mel and I are going to do a 30th anniversary retrospective on the seminal black sketch comedy show in living color. It turns 30 next week. We're going to talk about our favorite moments, characters, drama behind the scenes, its legacy trivia, and more. So you said you haven't really watched this show like that no i mean i watched it but you know again this was i was like nine years old i guess at this time and so i basically had to sneak and watch it with my brothers and okay so i saw the i saw the clips that they would hey jack come here come watch this and you know that kind of stuff but as far as just sitting down and watching the show nah not necessary I, I, I couldn't i 
my my mom wasn't having that. Interesting. I was I was younger than you, but my family was all cool with that for some reason. I don't know why, but you didn't watch like like the reruns on on FX or anything like that. I mean, I've seen it, like I said, okay. but I didn't have the same attachment that others okay, had okay. because of that. Okay, got it. All right. But great show, gotta say it. Great show. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, yeah. Thank you all for listening, and we're gonna ease you out on on some vibes again. Take care and peace. Push it along, yeah. Push it along.